to Return to Ease, the show where we talk about different ways to live with more intention. Each week, we will discuss different ways to learn how to nourish our mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Rachel Pecora. I'm a licensed massage therapist and a John F. Barnes-trained myofascial release therapist. I am passionate about living an authentic life and want to help you return to ease. Welcome back to another episode of Return to Ease. Today we are chatting with special guest Josephine Spilka. Josephine is a licensed acupuncturist and she teaches and mentors in Chinese medicine and Buddhist meditation. She is the owner of Essence Presence, where she works one-on-one with people as well as hosts healing retreats where meditation meets medicine. And I am excited to chat with her today. She's got a lot of good info to share. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I, I I think I told you this, but I love the name of the show and seems like <laughs> seems like everybody would want that. Let's return to ease, right? Yeah, absolutely. What does that mean for you? Well, um I can launch right into <laughs> the question ease is um in in Chinese medicine, which is was born of um, Taoist philosophy, ease refers to being in the natural state, not doing something to change how you are. Mm. And in Buddhist practice, ease refers to being synchronized in your body and mind so that body and mind are sharing the same moment instead of the mind being somewhere else or the body being somewhere else in a way. I mean, your body can't be anywhere else, but it could be somewhere else as in um, contracted or uh, focused on one area of the body that due to pain or, or due to pretty much anything, you know, we can be distracted by uh, our bodies as well as we can occupy them. Absolutely. I love that. That was a great, a great little description. I got like a little body tingle when you said that. That's wonderful. Um, How about, are you interested in sharing a little bit of your background and um, what you do? Sure. Um, So I, in my 20s, was um, working at Whole Foods, what what was at that time the very first Whole Foods. (laughs) And I, um, you know, I came across somebody who was meditating and I was really curious and I was also a person who'd been dancing. I've been doing things, very physical things, uh, modern dance for many years. And so um, this gal that I met, she said, you should come and meditate with us. And I was kind of like, what do you mean? Why? You know, like, what is that for me anyway? But the experience that I had when I when I did that was of sort of coming home to something that was so real or something that was sort of like underlying my experience. And I became extremely interested in learning more and meditating. And at the same time, I was interested in herbs and in doing my own healing work for my own body. Because of course, especially when you do a lot of physical activity, you tend to also push the body and stress it and, you know, have issues. (laughs) And so... Uh, Through my own body, I actually came to Chinese medicine, which was, again, a revelation to me that there was a way that felt natural, felt it felt right. It it, it just made sense to me from the beginning. So I began to just began to 
experience it and also to study it. And then eventually, I think it, how old was I? I was in 31 when I went to acupuncture school. So I am now 63. So a long time. Doing it a little while. Yeah. Yeah. So they kind of were at almost at the same time. And I never felt like they were separate streams, although they are separate in the way we practice perhaps, but for me, they came together and um, they always do almost every day come together in the way that I care for myself. So care for myself by meditating and I care for myself by using plants and essential oils in a Chinese med- medical model. So That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, is that what you do with your the, the people that you work with too? Yeah, so I have an acupuncture license, so that allows me to use acupuncture, herbal medicine, lifestyle, diet, qigong, tai chi, meditation, essential oils, rocks, and um, have I missed something? I think that might be everything. (laughs) I blend it all together. Yeah, well, those different modalities all have different characteristics and different Uh, sort of they're they're good at different things or for different types of situations so um i especially love tailoring what i offer to the person so no matter who you are and what your complaint is i will always be looking at how the various modalities might be appropriate for you and tailoring whatever i recommend and that's like the fun part for me so when somebody comes Right now, I almost always only see people one-on-one in a retreat setting, which means they never come for less than a day. So when they're with me for the day, they get to have a meal, they get to have a treatment session or what might be called a uh, intake. You know, we go over their whole health history and decide what, what would be best for them. And then we get to have a workshop session where they get to ask questions and find out about the things that they might want to find out about, especially things that they could take home, like meditation practice or diet ideas or movement practices. Yeah. So all of those come in. Yeah. What type of um, what type of people do you work with typically? Well, these days, most of the people I see, just given my... (laughs) Given my propensities, I work with people who have received a cancer diagnosis or an autoimmune diagnosis most of the time. I've also done lots of different kinds of things. I mentioned earlier, I have been trained in um, midwifery and pediatric care. And so I have done a lot of that. You might say internal medicine versus musculoskeletal work. Okay. Acupuncture is renowned for doing musculoskeletal pain and for working with that, but that isn't my specialty. So most of the people I see have received a a diagnosis, particularly a complex one like autoimmune or cancer diagnosis from a Western doctor. Um, Because I think Chinese medicine is so amazing at helping people feel uh feel empowered to actually understand their situation in terms that they can work with because the western doctor has all these pharmaceutical names and big words and things and uh i've learned anatomy and all of that you know i appreciate it very much but i think for people to feel in, empowered in their own bodies and their own health it helps to have things that um 
you know, we talk in terms of hot and cold and we talk in terms of damp and phlegm and things that are kind of recognizable to your average person. So I love making it work for them that way, helping them understand their situation in those terms. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I noticed that you used the word that they uh, maybe have received a cancer diagnosis or they have received an autoimmune type of diagnosis. What I, I kind of tend to feel that like, maybe you don't necessarily agree with those di- those labels, or is that something that um, people kind of get wrapped up into or? Well, it's a, it's a really curious thing. This whole, uh, the whole label question. So yeah. the reason I say that is because I treat people, not problems. So you're a person and you remain a person no matter what diagnosis you receive. And no matter from who you receive it, you will receive a diagnosis from me as well. It won't be it won't be a cancer diagnosis because that's not the way my medicine talks about your body, but it will still be a diagnosis of some kind because that's a working uh it's a way to work with somebody, but it doesn't surpass the person. So I'm really, really conscious about keeping uh, the person in the forefront rather than their disease. Yeah, I think that's that's awesome because I think a lot of times uh, people get hung up on the label that they've been given and then they kind of start to identify with that label of whatever it is, you know, even if it's just like, I have back pain. Well, now they have back pain and that's just part of their identity and I think that a lot of times that happens with other um, diseases and other diagnoses as well. People, you know, we just kind of tend to hold on to those things a little bit. Absolutely. And it's so funny because it's it's a Buddhist tradition, for example, to get a new name when you become, when you decide to take that path. It's not really talked about as a religion as much as a, a way of life and a a way of thinking about life, a philosophy, you might say. So when you decide, it's called taking refuge. And when you decide to take refuge, you get a name so that you can be reminded that you've chosen a new way. So in that way, it can be a very positive, it can be a very positive thing. But like you're saying, we can also become so invested in the label, we forget that there's way more to the process and we if we are much more like uh, caterpillars, butterflies and trees and plants than we are like a label. <laughs> you know, we grow and change and evolve and shed and sprout new things all the time. So we want yeah. to want to keep that in mind too. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's possible to um learn to make this different decisions based off of those um you know, new ways to live. There's new way of thinking. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that is one of the most amazing things about meditation practice is that you can make friends with yourself in a way, I just don't know of any other tool for seeing into your own knowing, into your own being in the same way. And so once you have a that view, it's like, Yes, the way you make decisions changes. Um, you know, the byline for my work is is health powered by choice because I think if you have conscious choice, you can be healthy under almost any circumstance. And I have seen that when I first got out of acupuncture school, I worked primarily 
in the Haight-Ashbury Free Medical Clinic in San Francisco and in uh, the Lion Martin's Women's Clinic in San Francisco with people who had HIV diagnosis. So I worked with a lot of people in that year because they were free clinics. So there was four people an hour for, you know, whatever day I was there. And I got a lot of experience working with people who um, were coming to the end of their life or working with things that were not well understood. And what I began to see was that when they felt they had a choice, they became healthier and you can be really healthy and die the next day. So from that point of view, health is not an obstacle to death. Death is a natural thing that happens. And if you die in a way where you feel empowered, it's actually, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could probably live differently if you look at your diagnosis as learning more than, you know, just the tragedy of like, why is this happening to me? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You can make You totally can. You can see that as a way through to something new and you never know what you will learn. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think um, uh, that, that that would play more into like your mind body connection where you'd have, you know, if you have a better mind body connection that these things can be implemented easier to navigate yes well i think we can't avoid that mind-body connection it is a it is a reality so i think the process is more about um learning how to tune in learning how to actually be in that body mind moment which is always happening and actually reading yourself and others accurately many of us don't read others accurately and there's a lot of research on this uh recently because of all the work being done around trauma but a lot of people don't read themselves or others accurately because when they have been traumatized they they revert to the trauma response and the trauma response is generally speaking not accurate only except in that moment when the trauma occurs after that it's not accurate anymore so when we tune in we know what is actually happening and we can see what is from the past, what is from now, and we can begin to choose differently. When we don't see that, when we feel in the grip of the past or our projections about the future, we can't make accurate decisions. And uh, fear-based, fear fear is the currency in a lot of medicine. So um I am working to make love the currency because love is a unifying strategy. Fear is a separation strategy. Yes. Yes. And fear, that trauma response is fear separating the mind and the body. Um, When we tune in, when we care for ourselves, I call that a love strategy. We, we actually are, we're in our own bodies. We can actually make choices that are, that are relevant to the moment. Um, Yeah. That's great. That's a that's a great way to put it. Is that more of like a Buddhist um, method that to, to connect that fear, or is that something you've just kind of learned over time? Or I would probably say I made that up, but yeah. you know. But I mean, I, I learned I learned a lot of different things over the years, um, and I think 
Of course, I investigate fear because I experience fear, as we all do. But I've always been curious. And I've always had a lot of conviction that I don't want to be dominated by my fear. And so, you know, what that's done for me is caused me to be curious about, well, how else can you work with this? And fear isn't something we're going to get rid of. It's a very functional thing to experience. There are times when it's very important to be afraid. And so we want to have access to, but we want to have access to the range of emotion and the range of experience. And we can't do that unless we're connected. So um, yeah. learning to recognize connection. And it's very interesting. Just before we got on this call, about a half hour before, I was having this moment of like, do I need to lay down? Do I need to eat something? I feel, you know, warm and kind of happy, but I also feel like I could be tired. I could, I could, I could be, my energy could drop. And I don't want that to happen while we're having the conversation. So I went upstairs with the idea that I would lay down, you know, and I was checking in with my body and suddenly I looked at the refrigerator and I thought, oh no, I need to eat. And it was like, I don't know why I need to eat, but I know I need to eat. And I, I ate something and I was like, wow, I just changed everything just to eat a little bit. And it wasn't what I expected. You know, I, I my, my mind would have said, you're not ready to eat dinner yet. You're not ready. You just, you know, you ate lunch just, I don't know, a couple hours ago. Why do you need food? You know, but my body said, yes, said, oh, I want that pickle and a little bit of, sausage and you know whatever crackers yeah no I totally understand that because I I did the same thing actually too before we got on the call I had eaten a later lunch and I thought I'm not actually hungry but then I thought I might be hungry while we're talking and I don't want to be hungry and think about food (laughs) so I thought I'm going to eat something but maybe my body my brain just needed some like glucose or something I don't know something to work on while (laughs) <laughs> but that's a perfect example of being in that mind body flow, right? Yeah. Where you're listening in and you're making a decision that turns out to be healthy and yeah. create health for you. So, yeah, that's wonderful. I think that, you know, a lot of people that I work with, they, they want to have more of that mind body connection, but I, I think just society has kind of shut that down or, you know, culture or whatever it is. And so a lot of a lot of people aren't attached to their body or we've had traumatic things that have happened that we've, you know, kind of just checked out. And um, I, I wonder if there's how people could get back into their body. Do you have a, some ways for that? Yes. Well, the number one way is to put your hands on your own body mm-hmm. and, and to connect with your breath because, you know, your breath is always there. Mm-hmm. It's never not there. Your body's always here, but your mind may not be. So when you put your, I like to put my hand on my heart and then my hand on my belly below my belly button. And then I like to, if I'm really feeling out of it, you know, to take a deep breath and make the hand on my belly rise, you know, so I'm breathing and letting my diaphragm relax as opposed to breathing up in the chest and you know, breathing shallowly. So sometimes even one deep breath is enough, but you could try three. Yeah, and to start with. Right. And pretty much after that, you, you're you probably going to feel different. And it, it's funny. 
my one of my favorite yoga teachers, he likes to say, I want you to walk out stoned on oxygen. <laughs> I think, you know, it's true. You breathe deep, you can actually get a sense of well-being from just even one breath and you can bring yourself home at any moment. Yeah, that's true. I am, I'll be honest, I'm not the best breather. I work on it. I have to be really conscious of it because I'm a very shallow breather by like just natural. And so there have been times in yoga classes or meditation or doing a lot of deep breathing and it's like, I, I'm dizzy. <laughs> a lot going on. I'm just not really always the best breather. And so when I actually focus on it, it's like, whoa, there's like this rush of, <laughs> you know, energy up to my brain. So yeah, you get a little stone. Well, it's the talent, the talent, the, the skill, I shouldn't say talent. I should say skill. That's the correct word. The skill that we develop when we practice meditation is actually to rest in the experience of breathing. So we don't try to manipulate the breath. We actually try to rest there. Um, resting, resting is the key because mm -hmm. if we're trying too hard, we are um, again, creating tension. And a little bit of tension is not a bad thing when you're trying to get something done, but when you're trying to actually return to resting, return to being in the body, resting is essential. And one of the skills that um, it's very interesting. Where was I just reading this? I was reading it somewhere else recently, but in some yoga, this is emphasized how there's contraction and then release and then rest for a very short period of time before you do the next thing. And it's, it's a real skill to actually use that 10 seconds to actually really rest. And that's one full cycle of breath. You could say 10 seconds. So that's really all it takes. And it was funny when I first started teaching, I've ta I taught in the acupuncture school here for seven years. And when I came here, I was um, running the college clinic and I started a thing where we would meditate together before the set, the shift. And then at the end of the shift, and I wanted to start with five minutes. And for most people, this was over the top. Five minutes was too much. Yeah. So then I said, okay, how about we start with when you put your hand on the doorknob, you take a breath. <laughs> how about we start with that? And it was really remarkable because that even that alone is huge. If you if every time before you go in the room with a client, you put your hand on the doorknob and you take a breath for 10 seconds, your your ability to be present with yourself and with them will be changed dramatically. I love that. <laughs> I think when I work with people and I, you know, give them self-care options or things that I think that they might should be incorporating their life or they ask me questions like, I, I can't, I can't do this because it's too hard or it takes too long. And, you know, that's kind of the thing that everyone comes back to. I can't meditate. It takes too long or it's too hard or I can't, you know, find five minutes. I'm like, well, just give yourself a minute, you know, just breathe. <laughs> like, you know, just having, it doesn't even have to be a long time. Just that moment of intention, I think brings us back down and into our body. And then you know, you can kind of make it a longer practice as time goes on, but just a, a moment is a little baby step in the right direction. 
it's just moment by moment, one yeah. at a time. Yeah. And up. There's a, a beautiful Buddhist prayer that basically says drop by drop. The, the river becomes the ocean, you know, just drop by drop. Yeah. Yeah. Moment by moment. Absolutely. I love that so much. That's so beautiful. <laughs> oh, well, are there any tips that you might like to share with my audience to maybe help them connect into their mind body any differently? I know we went over a couple of things, but is there anything else that's um, speaking to you that you'd like to share? Well, I always love to say, please drink water when you feel thirsty. Please um, eat food when you're hungry. Listening to your body's very basic functions, please go to the bathroom when you need to go to the bathroom. Like These seem like silly things, but I cannot tell you how often when uh, uh, people are unwell, that if they actually just drank water when they needed to drink water, they would be so much better. They wouldn't have a headache. They wouldn't feel irritable. They wouldn't have pain in their back or their knees, you know. So um, the simple things that the body always tells the truth. So if we if we tune into that body and we listen to it, just in that simple way, it's not complicated. It can be so healing. And it is also preventative, I just want to say. <laughs> I know, again, it's like, it's not a big complicated or, you know, sort of fancy thing to say. But I can say to you that if you actually do that, you will stay well. You will prevent disease. And it's really that simple. We, we sit down when we need to sit down, we eat when we need to eat, we drink when we need to drink, and all will be well. Yeah. It's so simple. It sounds too simple to be true. <laughs> That's what it always is, you know? We always want to overcomplicate everything, and, you know, everyone's like, what is this one thing that I should be doing? Well, just listen to your body. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. what we do yeah. Yes, another of my teachers has a saying that um, simple can understand complicated, complicated cannot understand simple. So That's great. to go back to being simple, breathing, drinking, eating, these are the ways we can be healthy and we can recover our power. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank <laughs> you. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, are you, uh, working with people one-on-one? Do you just do in-person, um, working or do you do things uh, over the internet or how, how do people find you? How do they find out more about you? Yeah. So from Essence Presence, you'll see there's, there's various things you can, you can do one-on-one in-person health work with me, as I said, in the form of retreats, but I also offer um, mentoring. I call it mentoring. So the reason I call it mentoring is whether you want to work on your health or you want to work with meditation practice, it doesn't matter to me. Like I'm I'm here to support you in, in growing you. <laughs> I like to say I garden people. So, you know, um, and I also teach courses, um, Chinese medicine and meditation. And so those are the various ways. Um, 
And these days, I have to say this year, I am looking forward to doing some of those courses in person, but most of them have been online for the last few years. And of course, I'm happy to mentor people online. I won't I won't make prescriptions online. So, you know, despite the telehealth that developed over the last few years, I'm happy to, I do a lot of intake online and I do, I do something called a blueprint um, where I will do an intake and write up a report and make recommendations and we'll go from there. And I love to do that. It's it's wonderful to get to know people that way. But if I'm going to make a, an herbal prescription or give a treatment, obviously it has to be in person. So sure. that makes sense. And you are in North Carolina. I am. Yeah, my little part of North Carolina. Are you in again? I'm in Western North Carolina, up in the mountains. Okay, okay, I thought so. But originally, you are from Northeast Ohio. I am a Cleveland girl. Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there. I thought that was really, really cool. It's such a small world, you know. Find people I all think over. Of it so fondly, I miss the snow and yeah. Well, we don't have any right now. It's, it's February when we're recording this, but it's like been 60 degrees. So it's crazy. It's like abnormal for sure. But we'll take it. You know, it's better than cold. So, yeah. All right. Well, I will link all of uh, your information in the show notes. So if people have questions or they want to link up with you, they can contact you via your website. Um, And you're on social media too, right? I am. I'm on Instagram as Retreats with Josephine. Um, Also the Nectar of Plants, which is the essential oils courses. Um, Also, you know, I do set up what's called a cocoa chat with people. I'm famous for my love of cocoa. Um, (laughs) And I I make cocoa with no sugar and no dairy. So it's... um, probably good for everyone. And, um, and so maybe in the next month, I'm going to set up an opportunity for people to have a little, um, you know, you can, you can just chat to see if it's the right fit for you. So, okay. Fast, but, um, but I think I'm going to implement that. So wonderful. And I'm sure that'll be linked on your website at some point. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, I will link all that below. So like I said, people can look you up and I want to thank you so much for being here today. This has been so fun. I think we could talk for like hours and hours <laughs> about all sorts of stuff. So maybe you'll have to come back and we can talk yeah. about something else. So, well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been delightful and uh, I love, I love what you're doing. So thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll chat soon. So thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks for being here today. We'll see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to Return to Ease. Before you go, show some love for this podcast by leaving a review. I'd love to hear from you and stay tuned for the next episode.